Hello, and welcome to Fangraphs Audio, episode 917. On this week's episode, our very own Brendan Galowski is joined by Patrick Dubuque of Baseball Prospectus to talk about this year's Korean baseball season. The pair each recently wrote extensive KBO previews, and they discussed things like the big differences between Korean baseball and MLB, such as the questionable defense, and why Patrick thinks Brendan is completely wrong about the KBO playoff structure. They also talk about bat flip normalization and the wild rule about how long managers are allowed to fight with umpires, as well as what to expect from 38-year-old Shin Soo Chu. Brendan also tells us about the Korean prospect that he is most excited about. Lee Jung-hoo, who, for my money, is the best Korean prospect in the league. He plays a lot of right field. He's, he's in center so far to start this year, but he kind of flips back and forth. He wears the number 51. He has, at least by a KBO standard, an 80-hit tool. He doesn't really strike out. He can hit for more power if he wants to. Does this sound like anybody? Yeah, I'm getting a, I'm getting a, I'm getting a read on someone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Finally, Brendan and Patrick run down their expected standings and feelings for each team in the league. But before we get to that, have you checked out the Fangraphs.com store lately? We have mugs and shirts and sweatshirts, as well as ad-free memberships for yourself or for a friend. We are in the middle of a spring membership drive, and it is your support that allows us to bring you all the baseball analysis that we do. We truly couldn't do it without you. Thank you, and enjoy the show. Hello, everybody. I am Brendan Galowski with Fangraphs.com. I'm joined uh, this evening by Patrick Dubuque with Baseball Prospectus. Patrick, how are you today? I'm doing great. It's 10 o'clock in the evening, which means it's time for a day game. Yes, absolutely, because we're talking about the KBO, and uh, on a good day, 10 o'clock is when the games start. Yeah, I love the day games. We don't get very many of them, but it, it, I can actually get in a few hours before I crash because I'm an old man. <laughs> I feel yeah, Yeah, and just so just so everyone knows, KBO started. Uh, it's actually already started now. A couple teams have played twice. Everybody else has played once. And then this next week, we're going to have the regular KBO schedule, which is five games a day, six, uh, six days a week. They do not play on Mondays, but other than that, uh, they're pretty much always going on. For those who are new to the league, Patrick, do you want to give a little rundown on just kind of what's different uh, between the KBO and, and MLB real quick? Well, they throw their bats sometimes after they have good hits. Uh, I think that's what most people associate with the KBO. It's like, it seems to be the number one yes. thing that people talk about. And you know, that that's not even my favorite cultural part of the KBO. I really like when they're very polite after brushbacks and when somebody gets hit, the pitcher will bow and then the runner on first will give like a good natured wave to, you know, no harm, no foul. Yeah, yeah, I'm totally fine with that. I mean, my, my take on bat flips is that they're fine. I don't yes. want them to be there. I don't want people to feel like they can't flip their bat. But I want the bat flip to be at a point culturally in, you know, here as well as in the KBO, but to you know, for Roger Angel to write about it, but the rest of us can just be like, yeah, it was bad flip. Like, like let's let's take the wow guys out of this equation who go, wow, that was a bad flip every single time. There's a bad flip. We 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 know. We've They're seen good. it. Yeah. Yeah. Other than uh, flying other than the bad flips. <laughs> so the KBO is basically uh, baseball, but what if it were more like what you think the '80s were like? So you have ten teams. And they play, you know, as you said, six times a week, you know, sometimes eight times a week in six days, because especially this year, because of the Olympics, there's going to be uh, copious doubleheaders. But basically what you have is a style of play where there is everything that you want 
Major League Baseball to have. There's more contact. There's fewer strikeouts. Uh, there's uh, more running, more dumb running, worse bullpens, more catch, you know, more you know, six run eighth innings. Everything that that we that makes baseball exciting that it feels like we've kind of slowly lost in major leagues. Many more base hits. The batting average is, was about twenty five points higher uh, in the KBO than it was in major league baseball last year. Right. But there's still there are still home runs. It's not entirely. It's not like the '70s. It's not like only six guys can hit home runs, and then you have stick figure shortstops. No. On every team. Um, it was two home runs a game last year, basically, which is what MLB kind of averaged around uh, from like the 2005 through 2015 before the ball uh, really took off in the last couple of years. So right, it to a game, it feels pretty normal. Right. But essentially, you've got a game where it feels like your your team is always in it, not because it feels like they can hit five home runs in a row, but because the opposing pitcher can just lose it and throw six pitches right down the middle, and you have six singles or doubles in a row, which yeah. is, I think, an aesthetically superior form of rally. Yes. It feels more exciting and has more momentum. Well, I think the, the cool part about that is that with the pitching staff, every team has two or three pretty good pitchers, uh, guys that could play in the major leagues, maybe not star in the major leagues, but comfortably have a spot on the roster. And then there's another three or four that you might put in the circle of trust where, you know, they'll have a high three ZRA and be fine. And then it's kind of a white knuckler from there. Right. And actually, this is part of the KBO that I feel like is an underrated topic. It doesn't seem like many people talked about it. I keep forgetting to talk about it. The KBO really feels like what uh, Major League Baseball would would be like if there was a reasonable amount of expansion. So I am significantly pro-expansion. I think that we should have, well, I, I on, on record have said we should have a team for anybody, any city with 100,000 people in it. But you know, more reasonably, like the United States has six times the population of Korea. And if Korea has 10 teams, that means that you'd be playing with basically a population of 60 teams uh, even ignoring all of the imports that the United States pulls in to play baseball. I, and the force of that is that expansion, we, we, when people talk about expansion, they talk about watering down the talent. But it's actually, it's instead of watering down the talent, because of the way that talent is distributed, you'd have more identically bad pitchers. But it, what that the effect of it is that it makes the really great players more great. Yes, and this is kind of a Sam Miller idea. He talked about it on um, Effectively Wild a few times, where we just, the way that baseball expanded alongside the country's population throughout the mid to late 20th century stopped abruptly uh, when we added the Rays and the Diamondbacks. And since then, we've had 20 plus years of bigger athletes, sports science, more players from around the world coming into the major leagues, and it's kind of created a, a different level of play than anything that we'd seen before and korea doesn't have that right and it's especially evident because now it, you see it really at the edges where every bullpen is full of 95 and slider guys and every shortstop can hit 15 to 20 home runs and there's no bad players anymore which means there's no real great players because everybody's pretty good and in korea you have a few amazing players and then you have some really terrible players especially on the pitching side and it makes you value the really good players more. And it also, there's another effect to it, which is that, you know, ordinarily in baseball, unlike other sports, the draft, you know, usually takes a lot longer 
to kick in for a given team. And so you have these teams that sit in the basement for years as they're developing. Maybe you have your five-year, you know, supposed, you know, rebuilds. When you only need four great players, <laughs> because there are no more than four great players per team, you can turn things around, especially given that in Korea, you know, players hit the majors with at 19, 20 a lot of the time. You can turn things around and get a new core of exciting players very quickly, which is nice. So Hyung Jun, just as one example, was uh, the KT Wiz's first pick in the 2019 draft, which they do sort of towards the end of the season, made the opening day rotation as a 19-year-old and started opening day yesterday for them. So you can make an it's more It's more like basketball is here in the States, particularly since some of the drafted players are a little bit older because either they serve in the military or were playing in the major leagues or what have you. But we, we also touched on something that I wanted to get there with the, with the quality of play. And I think one of the questions people have about the KBO is, what does it resemble stateside? And I think it's a bit of a nuanced question. I don't know if there's an easy answer, but I wanted to get your perspective on that. So I have a hard time with this because I'm somebody who struggles to enjoy uh, lower level baseball. And, and that's not just true of baseball. Like I have a hard time with collegiate uh, level sports in any sport, but I actually kind of it. The KBO makes me appreciate because there are those few stars. It makes me appreciate how hard the sport looks for the rest of them. So you have a talent level that's often associated being double A. I think it's probably pulled up to that level by some of those stars. But they make baseball look hard, which is good because baseball should look hard. It should be hard. It is and hard. <laughs> it should be incredibly hard. And Honestly, especially defensively, where I think the major difference is between the KBO and, and MLB, it's too easy in baseball. <laughs> Everybody makes everything look so easy. You have your occasional diving plays, but for the most part, everything hit into the gap. Like there, there's very little suspense anymore. Uh, whereas with the KBO and the ball gets put into play and it is often put into play, you then have something, you have a pretty good chance of something interesting being about to happen because nothing's routine. The, the ground ball to shortstop is, I don't want to make it sound like it's a 50-50. They'll make the play more, far more often than not. But uh, if there's any if there's any degree of difficulty, to, if they have to go to the backhand, if they have to throw on the run, then all of a sudden it's certainly not a formality and it can, it can even go down from there. Uh, pop-ups tend to be a little bit more of an adventure. There are some outfielders who aren't so good at tracking fly balls and so it's it's very different than what you'd see and i think it the defense is probably the most notable difference from what you'd see in the major leagues yeah besides you know i think that one of the two notable differences and the other one being that nobody throws 97 like you the hitters will look fairly similar you will notice that there's just no top end fastball for anybody besides you know maybe a handful of you know closers but but honestly even then like Everybody has a pitcher on their staff, you know, and state side that can only throw 90 or 88 and makes it work. And you just kind of get used to it being full of those guys. And it's fine. Like the, everybody has a player they like that could only throw 88. And as long as it works, it's fun. If, you, if it doesn't work, it's torture. One of the kind of fun translations is that in if you're watching a broadcast here, if somebody throws 95 or more, you'll see like the little flame go up when they show the, the radar reading. And in a Korean game, they do that when it hits 150 kilometers per hour, which is 93 uh, yeah. or a little bit more than 93. And that's kind of the frame of reference that I use where one like a 150 kilometer fastball is pretty good. And that's at least a 70 fastball. And if you're seeing 145, which is basically 90 miles an hour, 
that's pretty good too. There's just a lot less velocity in the game. There's a lot of junk, a lot of craftsmanship. Command, especially for the top starters, can be pretty good. Uh, the walk rates end up fairly high, mostly because the relievers, uh, particularly once you get past the closer and a setup guy or two, combine a lack of stuff with a lack of arm strength with a lack of control. It's great fun, but they do walk people. Yeah, it's a. it feels different in that it is really a lack of control as opposed to a lack of command. You know, it's not nibbling. It's just outright missing, <laughs> uh, which feels a little bit more forgivable to me in a way. So, um, Brennan, you've watched games this year already, right? I have not been able to because 10 o'clock has sadly been my bedtime the last couple of days. But have you noticed any difference between the 2021 action so far and the weird 2020 action we were used to last year? So the fans are back, and they were back for a little bit of last season, particularly toward the end. It's not quite the full experience. I think longtime uh, KBO observers would tell you that the crowd is like one of the best dimensions of the game because they just kind of go nuts for three-plus hours. And it's a little bit more muted because everybody's wearing a mask and because about half the team, anybody in the Seoul area is restricted to about 10% of capacity. And there's a few teams where they can get up to 30, but they're also instructed to be a little bit less vocal. And so it's a little bit of a different effect than what you would have seen 2019 and earlier. But it's good to have them back, much like for anybody who's watched any Major League Baseball this year, how even just having a few people in the stands and having a little bit of atmosphere makes such a big difference in how the game comes across and the energy that the players have. So that's that's definitely been a positive. In terms of the action on the field, not a whole lot other than just, you. I think you always notice when a couple of stars move on, you know, being a, a KT Wiz fan and not having... Uh, Mel Rojas Jr. in the lineup was very noticeable, particularly when his replacement went 0 for 4. But other than that, you know, kind of the KBO that I uh, that I know and love. Yeah, it's interesting because the KBO did not use any kind of crowd noise last year, right? They basically just put a mic near the dugout, if I recall. And honestly, that was fine for me. I found that the energy of the players in the dugout or the net cheering section nearby was plenty but i also watched the kbo you know in the daytime as kind of a background source of audio while i was at work so i kind of like i've I've never had a problem with kind of muted radio style broadcasts anyway i think the authenticity compared to like the piped in stuff that was in the uh, mlb ballparks last year which drove me absolutely insane Uh, so i'm I'm glad for that well the, the other thing they do over there and it took me an embarrassingly long time to realize this but there's music in the background, and I didn't realize for like a quarter of the season that like everybody doesn't just have a walk-up song, but they have like an actual song. And, you know, you can, you'll notice over the course of the game, if it seems like the music's repeating, it's because that player is up again. And so it'll be kind of Korean poppy sounding for the most part. A couple of guys might have some lyrics in English because like 2% of everything in South Korea is in English. But yeah, the, the overall noise and ambience is is much, much better than what we had in uh, 2020 in the major leagues. And when Preston Tucker came up to the plate? <laughs> I actually don't remember what his was. I know for Rojas, they had something where it was all in Korean. Um, yeah, well, he'd been there for a few years, so I think, he, I think he spoke it pretty well by the time he left. I see. Well, that's good. So I actually, are you sad about how ESPN didn't pick up the contract for this year? Yes and no. I watched it on Twitch, and I think you watched it on Twitch as well. And it had the Korean announcers, which I found to be a more pleasant viewing experience. 
Um, I appreciated the effort that Eduardo Perez and a few of the other host and analyst put in, and it can't have been easy to get up that early in the morning all season long. But the the broadcast, when you have a whole bunch of different names that like any given audience uh, hasn't really heard before, was something that I think they struggled with and how to how to talk about players throughout the season, and also just the natural challenges when you have two or three people on very different Zoom connections. Uh, it just, it felt awkward. So I'm more upset that Twitch isn't back and that we, we have to go to Naver, which has its own little complexities. Yeah, I'm very sad that we've lost the Twitch version because that was my definite go-to. I I appreciated the ESPN broadcast as well, but they were absolutely not for me. I heavily dislike any player interview or any kind of non game focused interview in the middle of the game and ESPN naturally was doing them every inning it felt like and talking about the state of you know MLB in the middle of this this other game full of people that had nothing to do with it so I, I don't miss that but I, I really liked the uh, I, I really liked the Korean broadcasts because what, what it felt like is it felt like the game was just barely kind of being held at arm's length from me just a little bit and after such heavy marketing from Major League Baseball is trying so desperately to get everyone to love and pay for everything that they could possibly sell. It was very nice to be to have something that just didn't care that I existed. I wish, you know, honestly, the KBO were a little better at monetization as far as like allowing me to pay for watching it. But uh, but for the rest of it, like it it just was nice that. I could be the fly on the wall rather than feel like I was the purpose for the entire exercise in my wallet. Yeah. And I think also you end up picking up a little bit of Korean if you listen to a lot of it. The enthusiasm helps. There's also a lot of baseball lingo that is just translated directly. So even something like outside slider, you know, you'll be able to hear those words exactly. Right. I just liked, like, I liked the letting the crowd noise, the quote-unquote crowd noise, dictate my attention. I would just let the energy tell me when to look up and, you know, have a feeling for how things are going. And I, I feel like most announcing is overdone in that most of the game, you know, could go without so much description of the game um, a lot of the time. And so it was kind of nice to be able to, in my brain, filter some of that out to make it more minimalist. It reminded me of listening to a game on a radio where there would be noise and sort of pleasant noise in the background. And then, like you said, when there's something particularly interesting is happening, the, the, the pitch of the announcer, the, the pace and the volume that they're using ticks up. And it just kind of works. It's almost like music in a way. So obviously the most important rule in the KBO is the fact that managers only are allowed four minutes to fight with umpires before they're automatically ejected, right? Yes, I think that I think that's. <laughs> I actually think a slightly more important rule for most of these games. Not that that's not amusing. I, when they came out with that that update that they were only allowed four minutes before an ejection, one, what an absurdly long amount of time. It's really long. It's like, so long. That that's a level like I I would feel nervous giving a speech that long in high school. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And from watching it for a year, nobody takes that long. It's a very like if somebody raises their voice, that's a serious conversation between a manager and umpire. And it, if it goes 30 seconds, someone's really ticked off. There's clearly one person they're going after. I don't know yeah. who it is. but, but. 
No, I think the I think the last rule that we gotta talk about, and this will be a good segue into talking about the league itself, is the foreign players rule. Because in the KBO, rosters are constructed so that everybody is Korean except for three spots that are designated for people who can be from anywhere else. These are almost always people that have major league experience. In fact, 29 of the 30 slots uh, this year are filled by people that have played in the major leagues. And the way you're only allowed to have two of them on the field at any one time. And so, and this is, this is similar to how the Taiwanese league and the Japanese league does it. I think the, the actual number of foreign players are a little bit different in each case, but uh, in the KBO, three foreign players per team, only two of them are allowed on the field at once. And so what that, Ends up hap- what that ends up meaning is that for the most part, with I can think of one exception sort of towards the end of last year, it tends to mean there's two starting pitchers and one position player that come from that come from MLB. And they're these three players tend to be, if not the best players on the team, they're at least up there. And a really big part of any team season is having their foreign players play well. If your foreign players are bad or if they miss any extended period of time, that really hurts a team in the standings. And Patrick, for I know we when we wrote about this a little bit last year, but Patrick uh, sort of discovered something about the the breakdown and how pitchers and hitters impact the game. So, Patrick, is that something you uh, want to go into a little bit? So, I actually I don't know if I'm mistaken in this, but I believe the rules actually were changed on this too, and that you are allowed to have all three players in the game at the same time, which would allow a team to carry two position players. Did they change uh, no that? Okay. Yeah, but but no one did. And the spoiler, it's because pitching is way too important. Uh, because you know any any spot starter you can get out of your rotation with with a foreign player is absolutely necessary. And that as you could see last year with uh, I think it was the heroes. Was it the heroes that lost both their starters? Well, SK basically did because oh, Ricardo the Pinto was yeah, so yeah. bad, and Nick Kingham missed the whole season. And yeah, that was a disaster over there. So, yeah, of course, because Jokish was one of the best pitchers in the league. Yeah, so the Wyverns basically were down two starters, and that's pretty much the worst thing that can possibly happen to you as a KBO team. And so, yeah, every every team has their two starters and their one position player. And it's very interesting because what do you think about, you know, obviously some of the bigger names from the KBO departed. Uh, Rojas and Alcantara, uh, Rojantara left for the MPB. Chris Flexen went to Seattle and, you know, pitched five and two thirds of shutout baseball. What do you think of what's happened to the talent from what, from the people who came back who filled those roles? I think a couple of teams got pretty fortunate with who they returned. I thought uh, Drew Ruchinski uh, from NC would have been signed. I, I know Eric Jokish uh, from Kowoom was looking to move on if he, if he could, he ended up coming back fairly, fairly early on. So I guess the, the waters weren't all that warm. But a number of them had, had had pretty good seasons. I think the the X factor was in MLB this year. Everybody's worried about an innings jump, and some of the only pitchers alive that that wouldn't have been a concern for were pitching in the KBO last year. So even if you think somebody like Rachinsky is kind of a five or kind of a six, teams are going to need fives or sixes this year more than ever. And so I was surprised uh, that more weren't plucked out of the league. Well, and, and Yan Hyung Jung, who signed with the Texas Rangers, it took him, he, he basically just, you know, committed full ride to go play pitch in the in Major League Baseball. And it took him months to land a job. And he kind of landed a job. He basically ended up having to give up 
the stipulation of being on the major major league roster. And I don't know if he's actually on. I don't know if he's on the on the club right now or if he's on the alternate. He didn't make segment. the opening day roster for Texas, yeah. which also surprised me a little bit. But he'll play a part for them. He he made a start in spring training for them. I think he started a little bit slowly, but he'll he'll debut at some point. So yeah, it's interesting that a lot of these players, like I agree, especially Chokish, I think is exactly a model of who should succeed through going to the KBO and proving that you're the one guy who just will never walk anyone. And that mm-hmm. was literally how Merrill Kelly got back into Major League Baseball and succeeded doing so. But of course, Jokish picked the wrong year. And, uh, you know, nobody was going to sign in, 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 you know, to a, to a Major League team this offseason because no one was signing at all. What's interesting is that nobody, you know, you'd think that on the other side, because nobody was signing, at the major league level, you would have more people coming over and saying, well, you know, if, if I can't be guaranteed a roster spot in, in the U.S., why not come over here? And, you know, obviously they're watching because multiple players have been signed, you know, Flexen and Lindstrom and Kelly. And why not get a full-time job, especially for a jokish type pitcher who may not have the pure stuff and say, no, I want to prove that I'm the one I'm the Jamie Moyer. I'm the guy who could like actually make it work. I've got the command to survive in the yeah. major leagues. And and I'm going to do it over here for 200 innings so you, without you having to pay for it in a, kind of an unpaid internship situation. And, you know, then you can give me a contract next year. And I think when we found out what the final roster was, we found out why those pitchers didn't come over here. Yeah. Because nobody got any money over here and over in, in, in Korea mm-hmm. either. Yeah, if if Young had to take uh, what amounted to a minor league deal, then yeah. Um, and I should add that Dan Straley and Casey Kelly both pitched very well last year and are, and are back as well. But I think, if, if I correct me if I'm wrong, but I think what you were going for is like some of the new foreign arms are are fairly underwhelming. It was not a great crop from my my perspective. No, underwhelming and underpaid. I think. Yes. A lot of the you know the usual first year contract for a for a foreign pitcher is usually in the. $750,000 range. The maximum for a first year is a million. And Dan Straley got a million. But usually it's in the 750 range. I think Casey Kelly got a million as well. I think a lot of the people signing this year were getting more like 500000 Usually that that's like, you know, Hanwa level contract. <laughs> they'll they'll pay the least and get the least. Uh, and everybody was paying that much this year. And, and I think that it's, you know, we're so used to hearing... Uh, Major League Baseball cry poverty uh, that we've kind of grown in near to it. And in this case, maybe there's, you know, actual poverty on a relative scale. I think so. I think the, the pandemic hurt. There's just not as much money in the KBO as there is in the major leagues. And there was some talk amongst some of the owners and the commissioner last year. They sort of, they played it out in the media a little bit, but it was clear that some teams were struggling with the lack of fans and they'd talk to the government about, increasing capacity a little bit with not a whole lot of success but again the numbers a major league owner can survive a rainy year even a rainy decade and there's just not as much money in the kbo so i I think to some extent the signings do reflect that and there were a couple that i that i liked i think andrew suarez uh who lg signed is going to have a very good year he's you know he'll be throwing 93 with good breaking stuff no one's going to touch that Ariel Miranda's also had some big league success with the Mariners and then was pretty good in Taiwan last year. But some of the others, I I don't know. Ryan Carpenter, you know, what do you what do you think of that? And a couple of the well, other. 
that's Hanma. And (laughs) there's no point in trying to understand what Hanma is doing. They're on a different Uh, scale. They are a different scale. I think they did exactly the correct thing. They signed uh, former athletic and Mariner Ryan Healy. I think former Brewer, he played like six games for them. He, uh, they signed Ryan Healy and Ryan Healy is basically your die roll of foreign players. He could very well be the best hitter in the league if he's healthy. And he could be, uh, he could play seven games, which is pretty much what he played last year. And I, I can't, I mean, if you're Hanwha, you have nothing to lose, right? You may as well try to get someone like that. Which is what but, surprised me about signing Ryan Carpenter. Right. We got the safest, most low upside you know, player to possibly get, who had 157 innings last year of pretty okay performance in a lesser league, talent-wise. Yeah, you know, you can't try to figure out what Han is doing, except if you're trying to figure out where they're going to finish. You can predict that pretty easily. The one that, yeah, they're they're going to be 10th, folks. The one that surprised me was, um, I know you're a, you're a Lotte fan, and so the, the Anderson-Franco signing looked particularly underwhelming to me because his he has basically no big league resume and he hasn't started in two years and he the last time he started he was he was pretty bad in the pcl i'm not really sure what they see in him so my question to you and it does seem like for a lot of these five hundred thousand dollar players your west parsons and Artie lebeckis and and those type of players it does feel from the outside like a lot of darts being thrown on a board I'm sure there is more there is more calculation than that, and I'm sure that the scouting involved with this sort of thing is a nightmare of logistics. But it doesn't feel like a lot of teams have a they have a real type to them when it comes to foreign players, which is weird because you know we, because of the lack of turnover uh, in the KBO compared to Major League Baseball, the lack of free agents, the the relative low amount of trades. Teams really get to develop an identity in a way that they, that in Major League Baseball, the only two identities are tanking and trying. But it doesn't seem like the foreign players tend to match that same identity. And it feels like it needs to be absolutely crucial that you get this right. This is, you, are, you are paying you know, the rest of your team's salary combined for your three best players. And if they are not your three best players, you're not going to win. Unless you have an MVP candidate of your own, yes, and there there are a couple of those, and we'll we'll talk about them in a second. Um, yeah, yeah, but yeah, it is it is extremely important. And to your point about this being a scouting nightmare of all years, especially last season, yeah. when you couldn't just go scout AAA and you didn't really have a feel for who was playing well and kind of disgruntled about their lack of big league opportunities. Just a really weird year to scout that. And so I guess if I if I can talk myself into a defense of like was Ryan Carpenter signing against that? Well, at least he pitched. Yeah. You know, he stretched out, uh, which could be an issue for for some of these other guys. Um, if that's an issue in, in for the major league teams are thinking about, how are, you know, the Walker Lockets, the Artie Lewickies, the Josh Smiths, how are they going to hold up over the course of a season? Well, and, and I think that's actually why I like uh, your 0 for 4 uh, Mel Rojas replacement, Zoilo Almonte. Uh, because you did see what he did last year, and he, you know, he hit pretty well in Japan, uh, a little bit better than I would expect for somebody who would be dropping a level on the competition scale. Obviously, it's not he's not going to be Rojas, but like that, that seems pretty good comparatively to, you know, some of these other names. Well, I think perhaps what stuns me more than 
the names that are signed because you you do have guys you, you never know who's going to anytime you bring somebody in you don't know if they're going to make the cultural adjustment you don't know if they're going to make the you know hitting or pitching adjustment to the new league and the new types of things but when you have a player that you did give you know your, your time to and they you've seen what they've done and then you just kept them <laughs> and i i am referring to the samsung lions who kept both david buchanan and ben lively both of them for much more than the $500,000 that most of these other players are getting paid. Unfathomable to me. I, I do not understand what they saw in these two guys to be like, okay, let's do it again. Because Ben Lively was basically both hurt and also barely better than the average Korean pitcher. I didn't understand the Lively one. Buchanan at least had the low ERA. And I think I think Dip's theory breaks down a little bit. In the KBO, I think if with somebody like Buchanan who throws hard, I think he legitimately can get more weak contact than your average bear. And his 292 BABIP, which sounds pretty normal, uh, was actually one of the lowest ones in the league. And I, I think that could be replicable. I could look like an idiot in a year. But I understand why they'd want to bring him back. The lively one, you got me. Also, Samsung is not going to be in it this year or next year or Probably the year not. after that. I don't know. It seems like you're, you're more like you're more likely to to, to go lock for lottery tickets uh, yeah. than David Buchanan at this point. But yeah, it's it's interesting to me because I'm I always wonder like, do you as a team organizationally do you use your platform because that that's basically what the KBO can be for foreign players is a chance for them to prove themselves. Do you give that stage to somebody who is more like the Eric Jokish type pitcher, or do you give it to you know? try and get one of the 95 and a slider guys and just see if they can start. Yeah, I think that's that's a really interesting question. And there are so many, I think you could talk hours just about some of the nuances in the game theory with how you use these three foreign players. Um, but it, it's got to depend on your situation, right? Like if you're if you're a team that's looking like you're probably going to be in eighth, in eighth place unless everything goes right, I think I'd want to gamble on some of those people who have something to prove and have a little bit of upside. And if it goes south, well, who cares? We finish ninth instead of eighth. But we could legitimately, you know, sneak into the playoffs if those two go off and have uh, and have really good years. Right. Now you talk about the playoffs, and Brennan, you are wrong about the playoffs. So I'd like you to hear how you explain how wrong you are about the KBO playoffs. How wrong I am? Uh, yeah, because you think that the KBO playoffs is a good structure. I do think it's a good structure. I think it's an awful structure. It's might be the only time we disagree with each other about anything is this this particular note. So for for those who don't know, the KBO uses a stepladder format. Uh, half the team makes the league, so five five of the ten. And the way it works is that for the opening round, there's a it was a best of three last year. It may be a best of five this year. I'm not positive. Four the four and five seeds play each other, and then the winner of that mini series plays the number three seed in a three out of five and then the winner of that plays the two seed in a three out of five uh, and then the winner of that plays the one seed in the korean world series and that's a that's a four out of seven uh, just like the world series is here i think it's great i think it both gives a lot of teams a chance to win it keeps a lot of teams interested in the regular season throughout the year it means that teams that are already in on the playoffs still have a lot to fight for because the difference between finishing third and finishing first is, is pretty enormous. Um, and it rewards the team that played the best over the course of the season, which I think are, you know, the current major league format does not in a way that's sometimes kind of frustrating. So I'm, I'm not really sure 
what you don't like about it, but I okay. I'm a big fan. So I should preface this by saying that that the current MLB playoff system is worse. It's, there are more things worse than horrible. <laughs> <laughs> and last year, particularly with the what are teams, you what are you happy about right um, now, Patrick? So, <laughs> the eternal question. No, it, the problem is I there's only one thing you said that I disagree with, and that is that it gives teams a chance because it doesn't really. Like the first three series of that five series stepladder is a total lie. I, I actually went back and looked at it last year, and I believe that only once in the last 30 years did a four seed even make the series. And I think the three seed is one maybe 10% of the time, but it's almost always one and two. And to the point where it makes me wonder why, other than maybe just to give the one seed even more of an advantage by allowing them to rest for like literally three weeks while all the other teams play each other and, and you know, let, let them fight. Beat each other up, essentially. You know, I am one of those people who thinks that, you know, we should go back to 18 divisions and, you know, have four playoff teams and, you know, two series. But that, of course, will never, ever, ever happen. I'd be fine with that, too. But I, I think the, the illusion of being able to win is itself somewhat compelling. And it makes for the chance to have a legitimate Cinderella story. Because um, right now, especially with last year's bloated field, if like the seven seed went on a run, it would have been hard to to get into that or to care all that much. Like, ooh, would, you know, a 500 team won a couple short series, big deal. But if a four or five seed actually goes on a run in the stepladder format and gets to the finals, they've had to overcome a lot of obstacles to get there. And that's kind of, to me, sort of like a 10 or an 11 seed getting to the final four. Except that 10 and 11 seeds actually do get to the final four. <laughs> <laughs> and this just never seems to happen. <laughs> if it actually happened, I would think it'd be really great. But it just doesn't seem to happen. And it just feels like kind of some empty baseball uh, where people who are interested in the final result kind of have a week or two to check out and then maybe forget to check back in again. I would cut it down, personally. Okay. Well, kind of up to everybody to make their own decision on that one, I guess. Now that we've got the sort of the playoff preview there, do we want to go down the standings? So we're kind of doing this on the fly, aren't we? Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. But now that we disagreed on our one topic, we can basically mostly agree with We can get standards. back to making fun of Hanwha and Samsung? <laughs> yeah, we can do that. Okay. I want to give like at least I want to give every team at least a little bit of time. We don't have to dwell on any of them for any period of time, but just kind of go down. I've got my projected standings for Fangraphs and I already hate them, but <laughs> I have the Dinos winning. Do you think that's controversial at all? I don't think it's controversial. I mean, they they won last year. They didn't really lose anyone terribly important. There's no reason to think they would be just as strong this year or have just as good a chance. They got every, you know, they got Na back. They still have Young. They still have, you know, Ku Cheng Mo, which is, you know, one of the best pitchers in the league. Yeah, he's going to be a major leaguer unless he gets Yeah, yeah. yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, yeah, sure. I mean, I think... When it comes to standings, and I think you noted this in your preview as well, there's really three tiers. We have your you have your couple of top teams, you have your couple of terrible teams, and then you have this like gooey middle where you, I think I've changed my mind on who the three seed is about six or seven times. But clearly, the Dinos and the LG Twins are the two best teams. Yes, uh, I think in the league, and for kind of the same reason, in the sense that the free agency period is as much about getting better as not getting worse, and you touched on with the Dinos, and it applies to LG too. They didn't really lose anybody. Um, the Twins turned over one. They turned over Tyler Wilson, 
and they brought in Andrew Suarez, which was is probably an upgrade. But the Dinos got Nasung Bum back, which was not a format. He wanted to come uh, play in the major leagues, and nobody wanted him, and he didn't want a minor league contract. Ruchinski and Aaron Altair both conceivably could have gone back to the U.S. and didn't. Um, and then, you know, all their all their hitting talent's still here. And so they won last year. They kind of, they basically went wire to wire. Uh, they may have slipped behind Kawum for a day, but it was if it was... If they did, it was only for a day. Did you have NC first, or did you did you bump LG? I think I bumped LG, and I think even though it's you've noted that the aging curve is more gentle to uh, the KBO than it is to MLB, the Twins are, I believe, the younger team. They are, especially so their pitchers. I, yeah, so I think I kind of uh, I think that's what moved the needle for me. But there, I think the two of them are very close. I can't believe Kim Hansu is only thirty two years old. That's, I couldn't either. That's crazy. <laughs> and he's basically their oldest major starter. Yeah. And he's, he smacks the out of the ball. Yeah. So, yeah, those two. They also have, they've got the one guy who does not have major league experience. It's Roberto Ramos. He's their first baseman. He could well have led the league in homers last year, but for the missed time. And he's clearly one of those guys who's here to kind of build value and shoot for a major league deal uh, down the line. And I think he's got a chance to do it. He needs to... He used to have a full bill of health, but he's got as much power as anybody in the league, and he's a real anchor in this lineup. Well, and he's only 25, um, mm-hmm. or he's 26 this year, but you know, he's one of those rare players that he, as the one who didn't have MLB experience because basically the Rockies just kind of gave up on him before he should have got his cup of coffee. Yeah, he was on Eric's um, Rockies prospect list the year that he signed, so he was still... Is somebody probably a role thirty-five, probably role maybe role forty type of player, but somebody that should play in the major leagues. On I mean, the Yankees have turned at least three or four of him into stars. Yes, in the last three years. Yeah, so it, it feels like he should be back. Yeah, but they're good even besides that, and their their staff in particular looks really deep. So yeah, the big question then, Brendan, is who is number three? Because I don't even remember what I picked for three. I picked Dusan, and I kind of want to drop them to seventh now. <laughs> See, I think I think Tucson for seventh and feel like I should put him a third. That's how tight this is, folks. It's a, it's it's a good league this year. Why are you suddenly bullish on the Bears? I because this is so the narrative about Tucson is that they've lost all their talent. Which they, they did. Which they did. But you know, you know what the you know what the narrative was last year? That they lost all their talent. <laughs> and it's the year before that. Tucson like basically hemorrhages more talent than any other team in the league. And they're always like third is pretty much the floor for them every year and while you know you compared them to the yankees and that's pretty apt and at some point dusan's going to have their 182 and 80 yankees failure year right which would make them you know sixth i guess by you know last year standards (laughs) it feels really difficult to bet against them because they'll just like i looked at walker lockett and i thought oh walker lockett really that's that's who you got and of course he goes out you know absolutely shoves in his first game and i'm like okay it's Tucson. well you can also you can hide somebody who's a fly ball pitcher here right and miranda's the same way because they they play in jam which is huge but i think if there's any if there's any team we talked about how some teams don't seem to have an identity with who they pick up i i think that that criticism cannot be in any way leveled towards Tucson. who even like last year raul alcantara i i i didn't think that he would be that great 
honestly, before the season started. And of course, he basically was the best pitcher, unless you would like Perfect Wilson, preferred Dan Straley, in the entire league. So... Yeah. So, I, but I'm gonna I'm gonna say they're fourth, just because I feel like I have one team I like eh, a little better. But I can't drop them any further than that. It'd be malpractice. The thing that gets me is that a lot of times they lose their their foreign talent, but they'd had a core that had been with them for a little while. And the Bears won uh, a couple titles in the last five or six years, and they got to the title last year. They finished third in the regular season, but got to the World Series. But they lost a couple of their domestic stars and. Zhang Shui, in particular, their second baseman, good power, especially for a middle infielder in this league, pretty good defensively, which is not something that you can take for granted in a replacement. And so he, I think, either hit second or fifth for them, depending on the time of year. And then they also lost Park Kun Wu, and that's another kind of power bat in the middle of the in the order last year. And all of a sudden, that takes them from having a pretty dangerous lineup where they go seven or eight deep, depending how you feel about a couple of guys' Babbitt spikes, to really only having four or five guys who look like they can hit. And I'm not sure that the pitching staff behind Lockett and Miranda is going to hold up um, because it wasn't very good last year, and it's hard to see where the big improvement would come from. And yet they kept winning, Brennan. They just, <laughs> it, it didn't look like a good team, and they just kept winning. Yeah, it could be like the Mike Talkman Yankees or whatever, where they just keep yeah, going. Yeah, that, that's pretty apt. I think that's a pretty good comparison. Like, you, you just want them. I mean, and I'm, I'm sure there are, you know, so many people just sick of the Dusan Bears. And that alone, that hatred is probably what keeps them alive. Yeah, yeah. I had Dusan third. I had KT fourth. Did you have, did you have KT up there as well? I have KT third, I think. And, you know, that'll change tomorrow. But right now I'm looking at it and I think that of the teams, because everyone third through sixth or seventh, uh, you can find a problem with them. And the problem with the Wiz is that they lost Rojas, right? <laughs> that's that's pretty much the big problem. And I, I think it's because I'm a little bit higher on Almonte to be a replacement, who obviously, you know, you can't fill Rojas' shoes, but I think he'll be, you know, a, I think a Preston Tucker level starter, you know, a good foreign hitter, which is not crippling to lose that. You'll lose a few war, but not terribly. Right. And they basically return everybody else. Right. And, you know, having Despagne as your throw every five days, throw 40 more innings than everybody else. Yeah. Can you talk about him a little bit and what's weird about that and how helpful that is? So basically he has like seven arms and he just pulls one out each day. <laughs> different different arm slot, different pitch every single time. And he, you know, people are familiar with him because he was with the Padres and as uh, I believe, yeah, nine other teams, but mostly the Padres because his name could be rearranged to say San Diego Padres, and that is the best fun fact of all time. But he basically can work more often. He's just, he can throw 200 innings in a league where everybody else throws about 160 max uh, because he's able to pitch every five days when everyone else in the KBO works once a week pitching every sixth start. And just, he's not as good as anybody else. He's definitely not as good as even his teammate, William Cuevas, but but when you can give above average performance but do it more often, those counting stats add up. And so it's weird and it shouldn't work, but you know, and one year it won't, but I feel like he's not terribly old himself, right? He's only is No, he's not. And the difference between those four innings going to somebody who's gonna throw average or a little bit above average baseball versus somebody who's got a seven ERA. 
Right. It takes him from being what looks like kind of the 14th or 15th best foreign player or foreign pitcher to maybe like the fourth. It's right, pretty significant. Right. It's not fun to watch. <laughs> and the only reward is that you get to watch it more often. It's still a Drissimer despite Like there's nothing nothing changed about it. <laughs> right. Sadly. Sadly nothing changed. You you wish for it, but nothing will ever change. I think the lineup's not terribly long, but the pitching staff is really good. Uh we mentioned Hyung Jun So earlier. He's the twenty year old phenom. Everything moves. Uh it's kind of like Quavos in that way, and that just nothing's straight. Uh, it's hard to classify what he's throwing. It, it, you know, you just kind of coordinate. It bended southeast this time. Yeah. yeah. Probably going to go a different direction next time. But their four and five starters are much better than the usual fare uh, for the KBO2. So if they win, it's probably going to be through pitching. Well, and also, you know, it's not exactly the most subtle pick in the world, but I do think that Gong Beko is probably my dark horse MVP. Yeah, that's a good pick because he could. He's going to hit forty home runs one year, and when he does, he'll probably hit three forty with it. And yeah. well, also, I you know aesthetically, he is my favorite Korean hitter to watch. Like it's Sadaharo, but then adding like an extra coil to it. It's, yes, it's so beautiful to watch him swing. He falls over. He yeah. spins like a top when he misses. It's incredible bat to ball control given how much effort he's putting into it, and just the centrifugal force. It's great. Yes. Do you think he could play in the big leagues? I think that... I have to look at his stats. I feel like he will have to improve things, and he also has plenty of time to improve things. He's um, only he's only 21, 22 now, right. I think. Yeah, he's, he's very so, young. If he goes the same route as Kim Ha-sung and tries to go to the major leagues 24-25, I think that he's got a very good chance. Maybe not getting that same contract level, but at least that same career path. Yeah, I have a hard time seeing him making adjustments mid-flight against big league arms. But I hope I'm wrong because he would be he would be a sensation if he was any good at all in the yeah. big leagues. Yeah, it would be it would be a lot of fun. I'm I just I'm gonna will it to happen. <laughs> Appreciate it. <laughs> I had Kawum fifth. Didn't like their offseason at all. They signed David Freitas, which was weird. Freitas is weird. And and I also, you know, going back to our discussion of how do you sign a player, like David Freitas is probably the most known property among the newcomers as far as a hitter goes he's had plenty of big league experience he has a dependable tool it's not the best one uh, but he can definitely take walks and he's definitely got a good eye i guess he's just going to dh right i mean it seems like that's where he's been so far uh, they don't have any room for him to play anywhere else he might catch a couple times a week you know it's it's a weird move i don't think it's my least favorite acquisition or even maybe, you know, it might be around the median, but that's also their best move. <laughs> yeah. Out of all the acquisitions. <laughs> to say one more thing on Freitas, like, I, I think if he's going to catch the Americans, because Jokish and, and Josh Smith are, are over there, that's kind of interesting. But their incumbent catcher is not bad. And so it's not like they're filling a glaring hole behind the bucket if they stick Freitas there. And they can't put him at first because former twin uh, Park Byung Ho has that position on lockdown. He's a former MVP. So you're signing a foreign player. You're kind of signing somebody whose value, at least stateside, is tied up in his ability to play the most demanding defensive position. And you're sticking him in his DH where you don't really get any of the benefit of having like a halfway competent left fielder, which is not as small a matter as it sounds. It just seems like a weird use of resources. It does. And he has certainly not, he's never played in any other position. He played one game of first 
2018. So you can't even make the, you know, catcher to third base argument. Right. And they lost Jake Brigham too, which I thought was weird. Yeah, that was that was a overreaction, I think, to his health problems. But then, you know, Hanwa picked up <laughs> picked up a guy through ten innings. So, you know, I don't know. I, I say that one of the one of their acquisitions is uh, Josh A. Smith, and uh, this is both an indictment on Kiwoman and myself that I thought that was a good move, and then I realized that it was not Josh, the Josh Smith I was thinking of, and then I also realized that it was also not the other Josh Smith I was thinking. Of. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking of a totally different and better pitcher than either of those two. Uh, not good. Not not what you want. No, no. Yeah, he's got uh, he's got a lot to prove certainly. <laughs> There are a couple other guys that I think deserve at least a, a small shout here. So John Chang, I apologize if I butchered that name, has the best eye in the league. He walked not quite twice as many times as he struck out, but uh, closer than anybody else was getting. And then Lee Jung-hoo, who for my money is the best Korean prospect in the league. He plays a lot of right field. He's, he's in center so far to start this year, but he kind of flips back and forth. He wears the number 51. He has, at least by KBO standards, an 80-hit tool. He doesn't really strike out. He can hit for more power if he wants to. Does this sound like anybody? Yeah, I'm getting a, I'm getting a, I'm getting a read on someone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's better than that in some way. It doesn't have quite the Ichiro aesthetic, and he's maybe not quite as fast. But his swing is every bit as unique, and it's very stiff until everything just explodes forward, and you kind of wonder how it works. But there's... No wasted movement to it. It's as efficient of a swing as you can get, even if it looks a little weird. And I I think he's going to be an MLB player someday, and I think he's going to be a good one. Excellent. So we both have the same six, and that would be the erstwhile SK Wyverns, the now rebranded SSG Landers. And it was, I have to say, a lot of the news for the KBO in the last month or two has been the identity of the SG Landers. They're, they were purchased... Uh, during the offseason for $130 million, I believe, which included the facilities, to basically represent a website where you can buy. It's like, it's basically a target. <laughs> and then they're called the Landers, which is either read as the them landing in the league or being one of the places where the uh, where forces landed during the Korean War, also where the airplanes land when they fly into Korea and fly into Seoul, but also their mascot's an alien, so I don't know. And then they made their logo an L, so it looks like losses, kind of. It's just kind of, like, it, it really was something that this was the big story for multiple months about the KBO was this new team, who are not going to challenge for anything, I don't think. Because what's interesting is the second biggest story was their new their best player, their their newest player in former All-Star, Shinsu Chu. What do you think Shinsu Chu is going to do this year at the age of 30? Is it 39, 38? Be one of the best hitters in the league. You think so? Yep. How many games do you think he'll play? Because <laughs> that's always been the question, right? Chu's always been very, very good. And yeah. he's never really been able to stay healthy. They have the flexibility to DH him a lot. And I assume they'll they'll take that. I think also playing fewer games will help. And I guess if the double header stack, that'll be a little bit of a different story. But only playing six times a week. I don't think will do him any harm, but just in in terms of his talent, it's pretty good for this for this level. Well, yeah, he he should be still in Major League Baseball, right? He's he's better than certain players who are playing in the big leagues this year. He was an All Star two and a half years ago. 
My favorite thing about Chu is the fact that he is on the SSG Landers because of a draft that took place in 2000, what was it, 8? <laughs> was, it, was it that recent? It, it might have been even longer ago. Maybe, But uh, basically, uh, there was a point where the KBO drafted all the Korean players that weren't in Korea so that if they ever tried to come back, uh, they would have to play one year with the team that drafted them. And uh, the Landers got Chu 12 years in advance. Three names, two. <laughs> I don't think anybody else ever got acquired that way. I think this is the first player to be eligible through that draft. I may be wrong on that one, but it is it is very funny to me. Yes. And he's he's not the only new import of note, but he's definitely the one that I think Korean fans are most excited about. He's one of the players I'm most excited to see how he does this year. Yeah, just a lot of just league to league transition stuff kind of curious how how that goes but then also just you know he's a hero to many south korean fans and they haven't really had a chance to see him play and so the fans are super excited for this yeah and it's exciting you know for us as scientists scientists too because we'll get to see what this will be the closest to putting you know clayton kershaw in single a as we're gonna get i think for a while unless you know Unless next year, we can talk about next year's foreign players and uh, the potential for a strike and what that might mean for somebody coming over and just deciding to hang out for a year for a million bucks. What would happen if Carlos Correa joined the Doosan Bears? (laughs) It would be amazing. (laughs) We shouldn't root for a strike, but we should absolutely root for a strike. (laughs) Yeah. The only other thing I think I'd have to say about this team is they were so damn bad last year. Again, Ricardo Pinto, one of the biggest disasters of a foreign signing. And then Kingham uh, made two starts, then missed the rest of the season. They brought Tyler White in as a replacement a couple months later because it took forever to get somebody over here. And then White promptly broke his hand. And so they just didn't really have any foreign players at all. And they would have been just about the worst team of the decade if Hanwha wasn't worse. Yeah. But by adding Wilmer Font and Artie Lewicki... Even if they're just mediocre foreign signings, that's about a five-war upgrade apiece over what they got last year. And then they also have Chu. And then their starting right fielder, Dong Min Han, or Han Dong Min, excuse me, was off to a great start and then broke his leg, missed half the season. And there's a lot of talent coming back here that they didn't have before. And if any team's poised to make like a 20 or 25 game jump in the standings, it's got to be these guys, right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, there's very there are very few chances for any team to make a 20 game jump in the standings, like without it being, you know, some regressible element, some bad bit thing. In terms of true talent, you aren't going to see swings like this very often. They were they they were also the team that had the uh, the worst bullpen luck, right? Yeah. So there's another source of regression you could you could point out if you wanted to. Yeah. If anybody else, I would not be shocked if they made it. Basically, even though they were. Terrible in the ninth yeah. last year. We are we are still, to be clear, very much in the this team could be third. Yes, and I think I think we are going to probably stop. I mean, we can see how you feel about Lotte. I think that's probably the dividing line. Yeah, I think I think Lotte could be a playoff team, but I don't I don't think they're that great. I think they're kind of low variance. Do you have a Do you have a different read on them? Uh no. I mean, they're the Lotte Giants. They are essentially the Mets of uh, of KBO, except without the actual success. They are the team that everyone loves and no one actually uh, gets to see win anything. They are also my hometown team. I, I lived in Basan for a year, a long, long, long time ago and got my 
Lotte Giants t-shirt. But that's that's what they are. They are they are the perpetual disappointment of the league. And while they do, there are plenty of reasons to think that they are, you know, they have a plan. Uh, they seem to be much more interested in analytics than I think many of the teams in the league are. They're they're not going to be able to turn around that quickly. And uh, Anderson Franco is not going to probably help. No, and I think that's why that signing was so disappointing was because they were they're on the periphery of the playoff hunt. They have Straley. They have Sona Sop, who's one of the... He just missed the batting title last year using the weirdest stick you're ever going to see a player use at the plate. So you go, go Google it. It's bizarre. But they really could have used another pitcher to push them over the top. And I don't really think Franco's the guy. And then they're also kind of getting old, like Dejo's there. And so I think that made them attractive to a lot of American fans who picked up the league last year. But Dejo's not really the guy that we that we knew him as anymore. Yeah, I think for, it's hard to get too upset because I, I really feel like Lotte is a year away and that they'll be a much more interesting team in 2022. You know, I think that once Lee Deho, you know, the era is basically over, but then we'll actually let it be over after this next year. Then you, you know, if Chu, who has talked about wanting to play for Lotte, his uncle played for Lotte and he'll, he's stuck in Inchon for one year because he's because of the draft but he's talked about potentially switching teams at that point you could start to see a path towards them creating a real momentum you can see real momentum going but this year feels like kind of a pass almost mm-hmm. the one other interesting thing with them is they're the only team that has used their foreign player positional player signing on somebody who you would think of as kind of more of a glove than a power bat yeah it's interesting you now um using korea's uh, form of Fangraphs is a statise. And I was looking at their numbers and they weren't terribly impressed, honestly. And I'm not sure how much to trust the uh, defensive metrics of, you know, insert any name of anything here. But I, it feels like he should have been more valuable than he was. And I can't tell if that's just the metrics missing out on an actual good player when they're used to nobody being good at defense. Or if uh, you know we're just overrating it slightly, it is a, it is you know an interesting idea, and I want it to be I want it to work because I think you know honestly, given how we've talked about defense being such a problem, I want there to be a good defensive player and justify this. Yeah, I think there's there's more room for experimentation <laughs> there. Nine of the nine of the ten slots are your first base DH corner outfield types, and then there's Machado, and I think you could probably get a glove whiz who could post a 120 WRC plus over there and would probably be the MVP of the league. And I don't know if Machado's that guy, but it's interesting that they're trying. Yeah. And usually the other alternative is the center fielder, but um, you know, Aaron Altair is, you know, center, but the the metrics aren't particularly happy with him either. And I can't tell again what's going on there, but they don't think he's anything great out there. That, That feels like the compromise that I would think would happen quicker is that you just have some super athletic, center fielder who couldn't put bats a ball and suddenly can. Yes. Which is almost what Altair was. Yeah. Maybe a little bit more of a big league pedigree than we would have expected. And then of course he's one of their best players as they won the title. So, you know, yeah, pr- it, it worked. concept. Should we go on to Kia? Who I think we both have an eighth. Do we, do we need to? <laughs> Kia, Kia is the most, I, there's, there's nothing wrong with the Kia Tigers. I feel bad putting them eighth because I don't think they're, I don't, 
They're fine. No, the rotation's okay. The bullpen has some interesting arms. The lineup isn't terrible by any stretch, but they, they're not really good anywhere. And the defense, even by the standards of the league, is, is pretty awful. Yeah, and I think that's probably what it is. Is you know, it's something that I think you look at them, look at them on the paper, and it's hard to find a flaw. And I think if you watch them for three innings, you probably find one pretty quickly. It is fun to have Matt Williams be basically the Joe Madden of uh, yes. of KBO, except <laughs> like not except again because we're not you know pushed into seeing every single thing he does it's just charming because we hear about it once in a while of him giving gifts to opposing managers and and doing his weird motivational stuff it's fine it's fun you know whatever yeah he also wears oakley's every game so you can't really and he's he's pretty stoic for the most part there was a game last year where their center fielder just dropped a routine fly ball because kbo and that happens once in a while and williams just like had his face on his hands for like 20 seconds and just didn't move (laughs) <laughs> and it was, it was sort of it was like it was like he had just blown a divisional title or something like that. I'll always be kind to Matt Williams because he uh represents all bald Americans. I remember reading a magazine article about him when I was a kid about how he went bald at 22 and I thought, "Oh, that poor guy. Man, that's got to be rough." And then I went bald at 22. So, you know, he and I were brothers. <laughs> I don't care what happened in Washington. Yeah, managers get scapegoated even even now. The guy who who bears watching, if anybody in Kia bears watching, is Shui Hyung Woo, who is now I believe thirty seven. I think yeah, I think he just turned thirty. So he either turned thirty seven or turned thirty eight. He was he had a one sixty seven WRC plus last year. He walked more than he struck out two years ago and had about a one fifty WRC plus that year. Twenty eight home runs last year, and they've got a they've got a pretty tough park to hit in it kind of feels like the offense entirely revolves around him and tucker who is good but that any step back here and you know that just takes them from being like kind of an eighth place to very very thoroughly in eighth place so he's this is going to be his uh 14th season 14th major se- uh, full season he basically did his military service early and he started playing full-time at 24 uh his lowest wrc plus was 119 and that was almost a decade ago. Like, amazing consistency. Yes. Pretty durable, too. The last time he played less than 135 games was 2014 when he was 30. And yeah, pretty yeah. good that year when he was on the field. Yeah, pretty crazy. Yeah, the aging curve is generous in, in the Korean League. So he, he could produce at this level for another year or two. It's kind of a shame that Kia doesn't have more around him for the twilight of his career. But... They don't, and that's just kind of the way it is. Well, yeah, and we'll get to Hanwha. <laughs> <laughs> should we should we get to Samsung first? I, I'm actually my hatred of Samsung is almost enough for me to drive them to tenth. Uh, it's not quite. <laughs> it's not quite. I I'm more disappointed in the Samsung Lions, and I, I think part of that is because they were, you know, for a very long time one of the most successful franchises in the league, and they stopped right around when we started focusing on them more and so you know that's great your titles are fantastic uh, they don't mean anything to me i just see this weird floundering franchise that doesn't have any identity i don't know i'm being too harsh if they do have an identity it's left-handed pitchers under the age of 22 who throw 84 miles an hour because they have a boatload of those guys they're not any good but they have them 
They just need to cycle through coaches until they can find the one that makes it click with everybody. Yeah, exactly. Where's Leo Mazzoni when you need him? <laughs> they did add Jai Lo from the Bears, and when I said Park Kun Wu like 40 minutes ago, um, I actually meant Jai Lo. My apologies. He was the World Series MVP two years ago. He's good. He'll be their best or second best hitter. Maybe third best if, if Jose Perella plays well. They have an interesting pizza advertisement on their walls. And I'm kind of running out of things to, to say about Samsung. It's very... And the other problem with Samsung Lions is that it's very easy. Like, color-wise, it, you know, it, it's the Detroit Lions. <laughs> yes, they look exactly like the Detroit Lions. And nothing, nothing about their logos... And you could, you could make the same criticism for the Kia Tigers. Nothing suggests a lion about any of this. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, yeah, you know, it's, it's fine. I, they, they're not the Landers, right? They... Your, your mascot can be anything you want. It's weird that we name teams after animals. The people who play them aren't animals. We don't keep an animal on the side. At least in college football, they have like the sad animal that has to sit there on the sideline. That's, you know, trap right? I think I think that's actually worse. But okay, maybe it is But it's more logically cohesive. Yes. Uh, Lee Huck Jew's here. Um, you might remember him from the one time he made like a top 10 prospect list. Uh, yeah. It's kind of, he can't hit here either. They've got Kim Ji Chan, who is an 80-speed 20-year-old who may weigh 40 pounds. He homered last year, which was kind of fun, and then he grounded out in his other 377 at-bats, which was less fun. But if he can ever make it work, he'll be he'll be a really entertaining player. And they, their ballpark's nice, I guess. I, I'm out of things about Samsung. Yeah, no, they're, they're, you can't. It's, it's impossible. Yeah. Hanwa? Oh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> So basically, Hanwha is the worst team in the league. They're the worst team by record since the 2003 Lotte Giants that I got to witness in person. And uh, yeah, they, they had one reason for existence last year, and that was the final season of Kim Taekyun. And he was bad. He got demoted. <laughs> yeah, that was one of the, you know, Hanwha didn't really come up in the, in the league storylines all that often. When they did, it was for entirely the wrong reasons. It was the, was it 17, 18 game losing streak? And then the associated demotion of like half the team to the minors just because <laughs> they were mad. <laughs> they were mad, including, now, I, I you know, let's let's put this in perspective. Uh, Kim Taekyung is basically the best player in the team's history and a Hall of Fame hitter. Uh, it would be like literally... <laughs> It would be like taking. Uh, I'm trying to think of a good example here. It'd be Miguel like if Cabrera. they sent Ken Griffey Jr. It would be, it down would be to demoting. Play. Yeah, Miguel Cabrera last year demoting yeah. Miguel Cabrera in like late August. So we need you to work on your batting average. <laughs> just, just no. They didn't want him to work on his batting average. They wanted to feel bad. He was the captain of the team, and the team failed, and they wanted to feel bad. Is he like we we have decided to demote you so that you can think about what you've done? <laughs> yeah. So th- that was weird. It was so weird. It was also weird just how bad their foreign players were. They released Jared Hoying, who's their starting position player, after he started the season about 0 for 50 with 37 strikeouts. It was better than that, but not by much. Yeah. And then Chad Bell was the worst pitcher in the league, not named Ricardo Pinto, and Sopold wasn't much better. And Sopold was healthy and bad, though. Chad yes. Bell at least was injured and bad. Yeah. Sopple threw a shutout on opening day, and then that was pretty much the only highlight of the year for him or the team. 
one of the team. Yeah. I think what what sticks out to me about this group more than anything is just the lack of talent anywhere. At least with even with somebody like Samsung, they have Chui Shekhong, um, interesting young starter, Kuja Wook, um, guy who could probably crack a big league roster. Hanwa, there's nothing here, particularly in the lineup. There's no source of batting average. Nobody steals now that Lee Kyung Hoo is gone. Nobody can hit for any power. They're just bad. Well, and and not only are they not only do they deserve to be bad, but they also they were also bad in all the ways that they didn't deserve. They're the smallest market of any of the teams. They play in the oldest park. They have the most disadvantages of any team, and then they have the pandemic, which hurts them more than any other team. Yes, and also and with they, the the regional draft too, because you can you explain how that works? And oh, how right. It's... So yeah, so everybody, so in Korea, you get there's the regional draft means that uh, you have access to players that are in high school in your region, which Hanwha is in the most you know the smallest market for that as well. So while all the all the talent is in Seoul, Hanwha has to choose from the you know the few schools that happen to be around in this industrial part of town. It would be like letting the Dodgers and the Padres and the Astros and the Rangers like get to select one high schooler from their area and then letting Cleveland do the same thing. And then like, okay, now that we've done that, yeah. let's move on to the draft. Yeah, telling the Brewers, okay, you can pick any player in Wisconsin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Everybody else gets New York and California. And now, yeah, go ahead and draft 10th or whatever. It's it's There's a lot of reasons why Hanwha is bad. And some of them they can control and some of them they can't. And it's honestly, like it, the team has always been like a respectable bad. They've always been like a sixth or seventh team. And, and, and they've had a lot of continuity with their coaching staff. And, you know, they've they've made an identity about being these underdogs that weren't ever good enough to make the playoffs for a long time. Although they have they have won. 11 years and then they made it in 2018, which was a yeah, yeah. good story. And that it no longer feels good. And they'll, you know. No, it kind, of, it kind of all bottomed out. and it's It not, could be another 11 years is what it yeah. feels like right now. Yeah, there's, you know, the bullpen's actually okay. They have one domestic starter who isn't completely awful. So they, they should they should win at least 20 games this season. That wouldn't surprise me. Ninth place would surprise me a lot. Yeah, yeah, it, it's going to be tough. It's going to be real tough for them. Do you have any, any other things you want to talk about? Any MVP pick or anything else to get off your chest before we... No, I do think it's very funny. Uh, we we talked about Aaron Altair. I just want to note that he does not believe in wearing masks and yeah. uh, has publicly stated so. And that last year during the playoffs, he was fined uh, $177 for not wearing a mask to a, a postseason appearance in a country that really values mask wearing. And he says he doesn't believe in them. I assume their efficacy and not their existence. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> but I think that's amazing. I don't really have anything to add to that. Real, real interesting choice, um, yeah. especially with where they were. It was either like right before they were going to win the title, or right after they'd won. So kind of a little bit of a turn in the punch bowl element to it. I think it was early in the series. I think it was like after game one or game two in the series. So it was definitely distraction material, and it didn't distract them. But no, yeah, no, that was weird, especially since South Korea has had. 
phenomenal success, uh, certainly compared to the U.S., but pretty much, again, you know, other than, you know, your New Zealand's, your Australia's, they've handled it really well. And they have a bigger challenge because South Korea is a very dense country and Seoul in particular in the surrounding area is very crowded. And so to have as few of cases as they do is remarkable. And, you know, the mask wearing is just one component of that. But you would think that, you know, being there and seeing firsthand how well things have worked that, you know, maybe, maybe you're, you know, that's not the group you should be going after for their health uh, precautions. Just consider maybe there's something there. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well. For, you know, the one time where it might be, uh, you know, appropriate to say, Aaron, stick to sport. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, to be fair, he did handle things better than Taylor Motter's girlfriend did. Yes. Although I, I mostly just felt bad for her. It, you know, that was... That must have been a very scary time yes. to be somewhere very isolated and alone and obviously didn't handle it real well. But I, I understand the challenge. And I think, too, the point that we made earlier about how it's just not a formality that people come over and play well. There's a real adjustment to the culture and just how you have to live. And it's different. And it was more different than ever last year. Yeah, and to give some backstory, uh, basically Taylor Motter, his girlfriend came over to Korea and she had to live in quarantine for a couple of weeks in a uh, basically empty apartment while she waited for the two weeks to pass. And uh, she didn't handle it perhaps as well as uh, some other players and some other players' wives did. Um, <laughs> and it turned into a... Uh, yeah. It probably it probably wouldn't have been the uh, media disaster that it was, except that Taylor Motter was hitting negative two twenty. Yes, on the air, <laughs> and he <laughs> weigh, he was weighing in publicly, and he was kind of a weird. It just I think he probably turns it around at least a little bit if you give him enough time. But I understand why the heroes just decided to go a different direction. I wouldn't be surprised if it was kind of a mutual thing. Sadly, they went the decision the direction they went. <laughs> Well, that's also kind of their identity, right? They're speaking really of identities. Where's the, where that team? Yeah, the, the the heroes then when I moved on from Taylor Motter to sign Anderson Russell, who thankfully you know, for the uh, forces of Kismet did terribly and is now out of baseball. So wasn't much better. <laughs> on that bright note, are you yes. ready for the KVO? <laughs> I'm ready for the KVO. Go on to Naver. You know, go find their live stream. You know, watch them. Watch them KVO. It is. It's fun. It's pleasant. It's different. It's not... The thing about the KBO is that it is weird. And it's weird not in a, like, yuck, yuck, you know, silly, weird kind of way. It's weird in that we haven't figured it all out yet. We haven't memorized everything that happens. Teams still play irrationally. You don't know all the players, and you don't have full expectations for everything. And that can be just a really pleasant experience. We haven't quite gotten used to the rhythms, um, and some of the people listening may have. Um, I know that there's some people who have been observers of the KBO for a lot longer than I have and, and watched it pretty closely. And, you know, I think it's it's just a really fun brand of ball. The ball and play being, you know, more often, the defense is being a little bit worse. It just, it all kind of works together in, in a way that sometimes MLB can feel a little bit broken. Uh, the KBO is a breath of fresh air. Plus, it will make you feel gross for giving it money if you can possibly figure out a way to give it money. Yes, they they really should have a GoFundMe or something. <laughs> the way to watch this year, last year it was Twitch and ESPN. This year, 
you have to go to Sungmin Kim, who uh, you probably recognize from Twitter, worked for Lotte last year. He called Naver, uh, which is the app that you should go to, sort of the Yahoo of South Korea. Uh, and that is just sort of, it's ubiquitous and it does a little bit of everything, including air sports games. And you can watch them free of charge live, which is not terribly convenient most of the time, particularly if you're on the West Coast and games start at 2.30 in the morning. You can access replays and highlights if you have a VPN, uh, which I, am I allowed to encourage people to do that? I think you should. I think that, you know, like, like I said, give the money any way you can, but you can't. Yes. So use a VPN to yes. see the highlights for things that you weren't going to be able to pay for. Right. Uh, you can give somebody else money for your, <laughs> for your VPN. But yeah, I think it's, I think it's worth your time. And I hope that I'll be writing about the KBO more this year. Patrick, I hope you'll have the opportunity to do that as well over at Baseball Prospectus. Um, and hopefully, you know, we can do something like this again. Yeah, it'd be fun. All right. Well, unless there's anything else you have to add, I think we uh, call it a podcast. We we made it. I'm so sorry, Dylan. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that should be my sign off anytime I want to take grass audio. It's just, I'm so sorry, Dylan. <laughs> <laughs> This has been Fangraphs Audio. Thank you again to Patrick Dubuque of Baseball Prospectus for joining us to review the Korean baseball season. We hope you're as excited as we are. Have you checked out the Fangraphs Live Twitch account lately? Head on over to twitch.tv slash Fangraphs Live to see all of our previous broadcasts anytime. And keep an eye out for more programs, including the Roster Resource Show with Jason Martinez live on Wednesday evenings. We hope you have a good weekend and that your team is off to a good start. Talk to you next week.